But hey, thank you guys so much once again. You guys could have done a whole lot of other things this morning, but yet you chose to come here, and we're so grateful for that. As we look into our IBC 260 preaching plan for the year, and we're going through the book of Jonah this week. And this week, my text is really the, the tail end of Jonah, no pun intended, Jonah 3.10 through 4. And what's going on in this passage is it's really the conclusion of the book, which can I go ahead and tell you, is one of the weirdest endings of a book of the Bible that you have ever seen. There is so much unresolved conflict there. And what we see is Jonah starts off his own book that he wrote, by the way. I think that's intriguing. Jonah wrote the book, and he makes himself look like a buffoon the entire time. And when we look at Jonah, he starts off with a bad heart, and he ends with a bad heart. See, what we're going to talk about today is Jonah serves the God, and so do we, the God of second chances. There's so many people in here today that you've been praying for a second chance. And for many of us, if we were honest, we would say that we are long past our second chance. We are into our 40th and our 50th second chance. And as we jump into the story, I wanted to cover a couple things real quick. The story of Jonah is often debated. It's often criticized. And many scholars have to fight this. And this is so interesting to me. Many skeptics want to use the book of Jonah as a way to disprove or discredit the validity of Scripture. Saying that there is no way that this happened. There is no way that this could have happened. Scripture in itself right here is being completely off base. This is an exaggeration. And there's actually a prominent preacher right now that when I was studying for this text, I read his commentary. And what he said was he thought it was even a parable. I completely disagree. See, with parables, parables are in fictional places. They don't give you all the details. They don't give you real names of real people that really existed. We know because it's mentioned in other pieces of scripture that Jonah really existed. Nineveh was a real place. And therefore, we have to assume that it is absolutely 100% true, just like the rest of scripture. You know, in this there was a moment where there was a man by the name of Lee Scarborough. Lee Scarborough was the president, the first president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. And what ended up happening with him is there was a Sunday morning where he preached this scripture. And on his way home, he was riding with his son. And his son was less than 10 years old. And his son asked, Dad, do you really believe that a man survived being swallowed by a fish and survived in that fish for three plus days? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, how could you believe that? And he said, well, when I think about it, if God could create the heavens and the earth with his voice, that same great good God could absolutely keep somebody alive in the belly of a fish for three days. And the kid sat there and pondered for a minute. And he said, well, when you bring God into it, that changes everything. <laughs> and I think it's a really valid point. I think when we bring God into anything, it changes everything everything. And something that's just been on my heart this week is we serve a God that made 100% of the universe with his words. We serve a God that made man from dirt, that created the animals, that caused the entire universe to stop in orbit when Joshua prayed for more daylight in the Old Testament. Our God has done some phenomenal 
thinks. And if our God can do all of that, then of course he can sustain a man in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Can I just go ahead and tell you, it makes me laugh that skeptics pick on Jonah. There's a whole lot of crazy or other miracles and all throughout scripture that they could pick on. But for some reason, they pick on this one. My goodness, this is a small miracle in the grand scheme of what our God can do. This is a small miracle. And so when we look at this text, I don't want for you to think this is a parable. I don't want for you to think this is just a story. No, this is a real event that happened. And so as we jump in, let's go ahead and define the main character of the story. And let's do that, but just going ahead and giving you some stats here. In the book of Jonah, the word fish is mentioned only four times. Preachers often spend too much time talking about the fish. Jonah, the name Jonah is mentioned 18 times. Nineveh, the place where Jonah was called to go evangelize, is mentioned nine times. But the name of our Lord is mentioned 38 times. 38 times. Let's not make much of Jonah. Let's not make much of the fish. Let's not make much of Nineveh as much as we make much of Jesus in this text. See, all throughout this text, we see this parallel between Jonah and Jesus. See, here's what's going on here. Jonah, what happened when he fled from the Lord? Where did he go? He went into a boat. He went to sleep. What happened when he went to sleep? There was a storm that formed on the water, and he was woken up to try to figure out why the storm was caused. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Jesus was on a boat. It got crazy. The disciples, what, woke Jesus up to figure out what was going on with this storm. Both of them had lots cast in front of them. Jonah, when he was on the boat, they casted a lot to figure out who should be thrown off of the boat. But then also, wasn't Jesus had lots casted in front of him during his crucifixion? Jonah and Jesus both willingly were willing to give up their own lives. Jonah, after the fish experience, he goes and he walks around Nineveh for 40 days preaching repentance. What did Jesus do after he got out of the tomb? For 40 days, he went and preached the good news. And Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. Jesus in the tomb for three days. See, another reason why I know that Jesus, that Jonah really existed was because Jesus quotes, cites Jonah as a source. In Matthew 12, verses 38 through 42, in verse 38, we see then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, here's what's getting, like, here's, here's what's happening in this moment. I love this moment because Jesus is ticked. Jesus is so mad because Jesus had just got done casting out demons. And at this moment that Jesus casted out demons, they had to recognize one of two things was happening. Because only two types of people would have the ability to cast out a demon. Somebody that was of the Lord or somebody that was of the devil. And instead of giving Jesus credit from being of God and the Son of God and being God himself... They didn't want to do that because they didn't want to put another little jewel in his crown, if you will. They didn't want to promote him. So what did they do? They started to say that he was of the devil. They started to say that he was from the enemy. And this angers Jesus. He's going, I'm not doing any more signs for you if the enemy's going to get the credit. The only sign you're going to get from this moment on is the sign of the prophet 
Jonah, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jonah went and preached the good news. He preached the gospel. They repented of their sins, 120,000 people. Really, it's more than that because at the time they only counted men. So 120,000 men and their families repented of their sins. And Jesus is going, and guess what? There's a far greater evangelist standing in front of you right now than Jonah ever was. And trust me, you're about to see revival break out from all over the world. You have no idea about what I'm about to do. The first lesson we're going to see from Jonah, simple obedience is better than having great intentions. Simple obedience is better than having great intentions. See, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, he gets his charge. And it sounds really similar to what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about the great prophet Elijah and how Elijah was called to call fire down from heaven. And fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and consumed all of the water that was all over the offering as well. God did some amazing things. But it started off with the word of the Lord coming to Elijah. So Elijah went. Do you guys remember this? The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. So Elijah went. God told Elijah to go. Elijah went. Now, starts off really similar in the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. So what was Jonah being charged to do? He was being told to arise, Go and call out. Sounds very similar to what Elijah was called to do. Arise, go and call out. But what did Jonah do? He arose. He left in the opposite direction. And he did everything he could to keep his mouth shut. The word of the Lord came, so Elijah went. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And Jonah clams up. Jonah runs from God. Jonah gets angry and embarrassed because of what God was calling him to do. And in turn, he starts to live a life of disobedience. See, we talked about last week, immediate obedience matters. And let me tell you something. You as a person do not have as much time on this earth as you think you do. You do not have as much time on this earth as you think you do. People tell me this all the time. Man, your little boy, he's going to grow up so fast. You just wait. He's going to grow up so fast. And before you know it, he's going to be gone. He's going to be gone. He's going to be out of your household. Can I say something a little morbid? You're going to die before you know it. Like as quick as my little boy's growing, so are you. And every day we're one step closer to the grave. And I say that to say this. Knowing that there's a ticking timeline over our heads. You only have a certain amount of time to make much of Jesus on this side of heaven. And let's do everything we can to do so. You only have so much time to be obedient, to follow through with what God has called you to do. Be obedient today. You don't have time to put things off to tomorrow because small compromises, small compromises along the way lead to big consequences later. Small compromises lead to 
big consequences later. Jonah put it off and put it off and put it off. And he found himself in the depths, in the pit of despair in the ocean because he was not obedient. He did everything he could to flee, to run. Sin takes us much further than we ever thought we would go. What I think is so funny is Jonah had the easiest revival you've ever seen. 120,000 people. Billy Graham never did that in one sitting. 120,000 people repented of their sins and came to faith. They repented of their false idols and fell before the Lord. They put on sackcloth and ashes. There was true heart change. So much so that Jesus even quotes that the men of Nineveh were different and changed. It's so crazy to me how easy it was. He was fighting to go do it. He was fighting to be obedient. He did everything he could to not do, made up every excuse, every reason. And God made it so easy. Parents, have you ever had this moment? And kids, have you ever had this conversation? Because I'm, I'm telling you, I haven't had this conversation yet with Stone, but I had to have it a lot as a kid. You know what? If you would just quit whining and just go ahead and do your homework, you'd already have it done. Hey, if you would stop complaining and just go ahead and finish dinner, it would already be eaten. Hey, if you would just shut up and stop your whining and complaining, your room would have been clean 30 minutes ago. It's a whole lot easier than what you think it is. Parents, does this sound familiar? But parents, this is what we do with the Lord. We put it off and we put it off and we put it off and we, God's going, hey, listen, I'm making the job so easy for you. He made it so easy for Jonah. This is not going to be as hard as you think it is. It's not going to be as complicated. You're not going to be in danger. I'm going to take care of you. But we keep making and making excuses as to why we can't. And he's going, I want to sustain you. See, there's excuses that we make like this. Hey, I can't go on missions because I'm just not going to get on a plane. Hey, I can't go on missions because I can't bring my gun. Hey, I can't go and serve because I'm afraid something might happen to me. Hey, I can't do this because the money might not be there. God might make it so easy for you that when you're finally obedient, you thought, man, all of my worries were so foolish. Man, it was so stupid. Man, it was so dumb. This makes absolutely no sense that I ever felt this way. I should have just trusted God and been obedient from the first place. It would have saved me a whole lot of worry and doubt that I suffered with. You're putting yourself through so much worry and doubt for no reason. Because God's sitting there going, listen, if you just understood how much I want to pour my blessings out on you, things would look a whole lot different. See, there was this time where it was probably about six, seven years ago, and I was babysitting. Now, can I go ahead and tell you, I'm not a good babysitter. This is not really my thing. But there was this moment where this little girl that I was watching, she was asleep. And it's a real close family friend. And it was just me and her. She was probably two or three years old. And she woke up and she saw me eating goldfish crackers. You ever had those? Man, those are manna from heaven in a children's ministry world, isn't it? Every children's ministry has got that big old cardboard box of goldfish crackers. And I'm sitting over there eating them. Well, she's upset because she thinks those are her goldfish crackers. And she's mad. And I have a little bowl. Well, by the time that she got up and went to look at how much was left, there was only one goldfish left. And I smiled at her so sweet. And I ate that thing. And she starts to lose it. She starts to lose it. She starts to get so mad. And literally, she's got her hands clenched, like meltdown. Well, I didn't know how to handle a kid in a meltdown. So I just said, girl, calm down. And I went to the cupboard and I pulled out that gigantic cardboard box full of goldfish crackers. And I said, here. Well, she's so in the middle of her meltdown, flipping out. She doesn't realize that I'm providing for her what she needs. And she's literally standing there with her hands clenched. And I start to pour the goldfish crackers on her fists. 
And so she's screaming and yelling, and I'm screaming at her, holding the goldfish crackers and pouring them, going, they're right there! And we're both screaming, and I didn't know how to make the problem stop. Here's the thing. I feel like sometimes God feels that way with us. We're whining and complaining, and God's going, guess what? I'm providing for you everything you'll need if you just trust me. If you'll just be obedient, open up your hand so I can take out whatever I want out of your hand, and I can put whatever I want back in it. If you'll just be open-handed, trust me, your life will be so much simpler, it'll be so much easier, and I can bless it. Do you realize that God wants to bless you a whole lot more than he wants to take from you? God wants to make your life a whole lot better than he wants to make it worse. See, we always talk about how, man, you have to sacrifice everything to follow after Jesus. You do, but do you realize he gives you everything? He sacrificed everything as well. It's this mutual exchange. And can I go ahead and tell you, everything that you can give to God doesn't even begin to compare to what everything he can give to you. And we hold our hands so tight and we clench them so tight because we're trying to be so controlling. And God's going, listen, if you'll just be obedient and be faithful, guess what? I can do so much with that. If you'll open up your hand, you're, you're flipping out for no reason. You're scared for no reason. Trust me. Jonah starts to run from God. See, this is something to pay attention to. See, a lot of times we think that we're running to things. Man, you're, we're running to different vices. You're never running to things. Can I go ahead and tell you what often is happening? We're often running from things. We're running from things. You're running from God. You're running from pain. You're running from shame. You're running from your past. You're running from a past relationship. You're running from hurt. You're running for, from God's real, real, true will for your life. And you're not submitting to what God has for you. So you're having to run from him. See, it says that Jonah got on a boat headed to Tarshish. You want to know what happened? Jonah got to the airport and they said, where would you like to go? Anywhere but here. Anywhere but Nineveh. Can you just take me as far away from what God wants me to do as possible? There was nothing significant about Tarshish. All it was was Jonah trying to get in the opposite direction. He wasn't running to Tarshish. He was running from the Lord. He was running from God's will. And I think often we make it seem like Tarshish is our goal. Like, hey, Tarshish is a good place. We're trying to run to something. But I think a lot of times, Christians and non-Christians alike, we're really not running to something. We have these silly goals that are a cover-up of what we're really running from. See, a lot of you guys are running to bad relationships because you're running from the one that God wants for you to be with. You're running to a major in college because you're running from the real calling that God has for you in your life. You're running to an adulterous relationship because you're running from the relationship that God has called you to mend and repair and fix. Hear me. I think that more often than not, we're not running to something. We're running from something. And God says, run to me. When I get to heaven, I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, I love to watch running. I love to watch running races, and I love to watch something called ultramarathons. Ultramarathons are any sort of a race that's further than 26.2 miles. Anything further than a marathon is called an ultramarathon. And there was an ultra runner that was winning. I mean, he was just at the top of his game. He was having a great race, and he got off course and he added 18 extra miles to a 100-mile race that he was running. 
18 miles in a 100-mile race makes a big difference, doesn't it? This guy had a meltdown. He eventually, he was winning the race, setting the course record. He eventually came in one of the last places, not just because of the extra time it took, but because he was so despaired, so frustrated. And I think Christians, we take all these detours in our life as we're running from God. We're running from him and his will. So Jonah is running from the Lord. Why is he running from the Lord? Because he was not okay with what God was calling him to do. He was called to minister to the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh. These people were not good people. And I think often we understate how bad these people were. Like these guys weren't just people living in sin. These people have probably personally hurt Jonah and his family. I think that Jonah knew people that had been skinned alive because this is what the Ninevites were known for. They were known for skinning people alive, keeping them alive as long as possible to extend their suffering and hang their skin on their, their city gates. That's what these people were known for. They were wretched people. Guys, I have a quick video I want for you guys to see. Just so I can help you guys to mentally put things perspective as to how Jonah viewed the Ninevites. all doubt of Ridgeway's guilt was erased. He pleaded guilty to the murders of 48 women. He'd made a deal to cooperate with the prosecution to provide more information on his victims and the whereabouts of their remains. In doing so, he avoided a trial and possible death penalty. Mr. Ridgeway, how do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count one? for the death of Wendy Lee Caulfield. Guilty. How do you plead to the charge of aggravated murder in the first degree as charged in count two? Guilty, guilty, guilty. So, can you just imagine the anger you'd feel if you were one of the victims, one of the family members of one of the victims of that man? You'd be so frustrated. You'd be so angry. This was like asking Jonah to walk into, like it's, it'd be like asking a Jew to walk into a Nazi meeting. It'd be like asking an African-American to go minister to the KKK. This was rough. This was intense. This was frustrating for Jonah. Jonah had personal wounds that he felt. He had anger. And what we would always say is this. We often say this in church world, justifiable hate. In the eyes of the Lord, there's no such thing. And I know this sounds harsh and I know this sounds weird. And I think that everything within us, it's natural to hate guys like the one we just saw on our screen. But here's what God says. God says that we are supposed to look different than the world. We are supposed to love those who are hated. We are supposed to love like Jesus loves, but Jonah just can't. And so he runs away. And eventually what happens, God sends, he appoints this great wind on the sea. An incredible storm takes place. And they start to realize Jonah's the one at fault. And Jonah says this, Jonah says, throw me off of the boat. Now people often mistake this as this Great act of selflessness for Jonah. Man, Jonah was so selfless just to give himself up so the others may live. That's not what he did. You know what 
God wanted him to do? You know what would have worked? You know what would have calmed the storm? If Jonah would have said, turn the boat around. I'm the reason God wants me to be obedient. Can you take me as close to Nineveh as you can get me? Because I guarantee you, as soon as you turn the boat around, the storm will stop because I'll be in God's will again. But that's not what Jonah did. Because Jonah wanted to die rather than go minister to the Ninevites. He would rather die than make a difference in the hearts and lives of those people. See, I don't understand that. But the thing is, is that the more I think about it, I do understand it. See, I served in youth ministry for years before I was your pastor. And see, it's funny how people can be. Because I remember one of my first church, y'all, I was so young and so naive. And I just just assumed that everybody that came to church really loved Jesus and was really going to pursue the Lord and was going to put the Lord at number one. And I'll never forget this. We had so many students showing up at this little church in little itty-bitty Haskell, Texas. No lie, I had kids riding horses to church. It was awesome. And here's what ended up happening. I remember one of the older men getting upset. and He goes, hey, Sean, listen. You've got so many kids here, and uh, I don't really want to pay to keep the... Uh, air conditioning going on Wednesday nights so you probably don't need to do it anymore what I had this one time hey listen um we don't want to fill up the baptismal because it takes electricity to fill that up and that costs money so can we not do that I'll never forget it and my favorite thing was this one this one was my favorite we, we had kids that were literally bringing horses to church no lie because it was just a small little farm town and so we had a little horse pasture there but then also, there was a place where all the kids parked. One of my kids didn't mean to, but part of her car broke, and she had oil leak all over our parking lot. One of the deacons got at me so mad, he was so frustrated. And he said, your kids don't need to park in our parking lot anymore. He said, next week, if I see the parking in the parking lot, I'm going to shut it down. And I said, okay, deal. So you know what I did? I had the cars park where the horses go, and I put the horses where the cars go. And that deacon didn't say a word to me the next day. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. The real story is this. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to do whatever we need to do, even if that means sacrificing our comfort in order to make much of Jesus. Can I tell you the amount of arguments I had about people getting a stain in the church's carpet and not even acknowledging the fact that the baptismal waters were being stirred? Guys, I always want for IBC to do this. Always check our hearts. I think we are in a good heart place right now, and I think we've been for years. But hear me, it doesn't stay that way unless we're conscious of it. It doesn't stay that way unless we're always aware of it. And we can become grumpy old men and women before we know it. Can I go ahead and throw it out like that? We can all be that way. There's a lot of young people that are grumpy old people. Do you know what I mean? They just got that mentality because it's all about what they want and their comfort and their desire. Hear, hear me. We have to always be conscious of our hearts and where we stand with the Lord because before we know it, we will look like something we are not proud of. We serve the God of second chances. But Jonah was not a man that gave others second chances. God tells Jonah, as soon as he gets out of the fish, arise, go, and call out. He saves Jonah from the pit of the sea. He saves Jonah's life when he is in the water. When you look at the prayer of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2, he's literally drowning 
in Jonah chapter 2. And he says, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for sending the fish to be my Uber ride back to civilization, keeping me alive. That's what the fish did. The fish prolonged his life and then spits him out on dry land closer to Nineveh than when he started. And Jonah's so grateful for the grace of God, but he wasn't willing to show that grace to others. Y'all, it's so hard to show grace to somebody you feel like doesn't deserve it. Can we show this next video clip real quick? Let's go back to this story. It's like he didn't have any remorse at all for what he had done. You know, he'd killed so many people, he didn't remember who they were, what they looked like. I just couldn't believe that somebody could kill all those people and not remember them. Neither could the angry relatives of his victims who were invited to speak in court when Ridgway was sentenced to life without parole on December 18, 2003. You had said your memory when it comes to all of the women you took was gone. Our memory is not. In your words, you said that they didn't mean anything to you, but she meant everything to us. She was a mother, she was a wife, she was a sister, and we miss her. Gary Ridgway sat there stone-faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's gonna go to hell and that's where he belongs. Understandable feelings. And I can't imagine the pain that those people are going through. But that's also not the response that Jesus called us to have. See, Jesus called us to look different and to act different and to be different and to shock the world with our response that would ultimately turn the light on him. I got one more video clip for you. Can we show that real quick? But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway, um, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe, and that is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. God calls us to look different from the world so that we can bring the world to faith in Christ. When we look just like the world, people never hear about our Jesus. But can I tell you that that video is on YouTube and it's got millions upon millions upon millions of views. And every single time you were to Google or to YouTube, Gary Ridgway, who is one of the most prophylic, one of the largest serial killers that America has ever seen. Every single time you Google his name, you know what video pops up first? That one. That one. 
Because now Jesus says, I'm not going to make it about Gary Ridgway and his hate. I'm going to make it about me and my forgiveness. Because there was a man that decided to look past his own hurt and his own pain and his own reasons to discriminate and to hate. And in turn decided to point the attention back to me and forgive him like I forgave you. I love that. I'm so grateful for that picture. Jonah couldn't get there. Jonah never got there. He's so frustrated when God saved those people. Jonah literally walks up for 40 days and just has probably the worst attitude you've ever seen. But he starts to give a sermon. And I guarantee you his sermon wasn't that profound. Turn or burn. Turn or burn. Repent. Be different. And people did. People did because God was moving and God was working. And it wasn't because of Jonah, it was because of God. Remember, we make too big of a deal about what God's asked us to do. It's a whole lot easier when he's in it. And God does some incredible things. People come to faith in the Lord, 120,000 plus. And Jonah is mad. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, it it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. He was angry. I don't have enough time to answer this question in detail, but is it okay to be angry at God? Is it natural? Sure. Is it okay to stay that way? Absolutely not. Nowhere in scripture does it say that you should ever be angry with God. The moment you find yourself angry, repent. Because you don't have the right to be angry at the God that's done everything for you. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord. That's the only thing that Jonah does right in this situation. Hey, Brock, come on up, buddy. I'm almost done. And said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? (laughs) This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Hear this. Hear this angry insult he gives God. He's so mad at the Lord. And he says, because I knew you were a gracious God. You're merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You jerk. You punk, you're such a jerk because you forgave them. You're such a jerk because you showed love to them and grace to them. I can't believe you would act like you always have. I can't believe that you would act just like your word says you do. I can't believe that you would be forgiving. I can't believe that you would show grace. But yet he does. He's surprised that God acts within his own character. See, we see all throughout the Old Testament where God was righteous and a judge and he had wrath. But why did he have wrath against those other groups of people but not against the people of Nineveh? Because Nineveh did what they were supposed to do. They repented. They changed. They turned. And it completely wrecked Jonah. Here's what I want to ask you today. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to make Jesus famous in the hearts and lives of people that you probably don't want to talk to? Other people that don't look the same and don't act the same, that aren't from the same background, that you think, man, they wouldn't fit in here. Man, they might mess things up. Listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I want for this church to look like a birthing room in a hospital. What what happens in a birthing room where things get awkward, things are uncomfortable, things get really, really messy. And these can be so stressful in a birthing room. But in the birthing room is where new life happens. And that's what we want here at IBC. We want for new life to happen. 
We want for IBC to be a church for people that don't feel welcomed any other place. I want for IBC to be a church where people come in and they go, I know nothing about Jesus and I've made every mistake in the world. I can't imagine that Jesus would ever want me. And we need to be the church that says, of course Jesus wants you and so do we. That's the kind of church we want to be. I pray constantly for us to have some crazy revivals in Marshall. And can I go ahead and tell you the people that desperately need revival are the people that you wouldn't think about. See, here's what's going to happen. My prayer is, is that one day we have people getting into our baptismal waters that are so weighed down by all of the piercings on their face, it's going to take me and Jason Skinner to get them out of that water. I pray that one day we have people getting baptized that have so many tattoos and ink all over their body, it's more ink than you have in your Bible pages. Like that's what I'm praying for. I pray that we get people with pass. I pray that we get people that have sticky backgrounds. I pray that we get people that don't pass background checks because they need Jesus so bad. They need Jesus so bad. And can I say something like really crazy? Like really, really crazy. And you know what I wanna see happen? I want to see you find them and bring them here. Like, I want to see you be used by God to get them here. Because when I say stuff like that, you're thinking, okay, we'd be cool with that. But guess what? They don't just show up. Because they don't know that they'd be accepted. They don't know that they'd be loved. They don't know about the Jesus that we know about. And you're called by the gospel, just like Jonah, to arise, go, and call out. pray that when we leave, you'll remember and you won't overlook there's signs that have to be 10 plus years old, maybe even more than that. We pass it every single time. We pull out of our parking lot that say you are now entering the mission field. Do you guys see those? Man, it's funny. The poles are rusty. They faded. They don't even look that great. They don't look like it's good as they used to. I pray you see that every week. I pray every week you pay attention to it. Every week you pass through those signs. Man, you pray that God would challenge you to arise off your rear end, to go to the people that desperately need Jesus, no matter what they look like, no matter their background, no matter what they did or didn't do to you or your friend or your mama or your whatever, and call out. Call out to them about Jesus. Call out to them about IBC. Get them where they learn to love the Lord make much of Jesus. Jonah, in turn, finally, finally has a moment where he's used by the Lord and he's so angry. How would you be so gracious? How would you be so loving? How could you be so forgiving? It's like Jonah completely forgot that just 40 days before he was in the belly of a fish begging God for his mercy, begging God for his grace, begging God to let him out. And God was merciful to Jonah, but God didn't want for, Jonah didn't want for God to treat Nineveh like he treated him. And he definitely didn't want for God to use Jonah to be a part of the transformation. Man, it absolutely breaks my heart for Jonah because he never could understand that the very same grace he was trying to refuse to the Ninevites was the same grace that he was given. See, I want to throw this out to you. For all of you in here that accepted Christ, fantastic. For all of you that have a relationship with Jesus, amazing. But could you think just for a minute what mistakes you might have made throughout your life if you would have never met him? 
can, can I be real? A lot of the people that we're fighting against could have easily been you if Jesus wouldn't have shown grace to you. And if Jesus wouldn't have got somebody to be obedient to come talk to you and present the gospel to you and invite you to plug into a community of believers. See, I believe in this room, if Jesus hadn't saved any of us in this room, there'd be a probably many people in here that would have struggled with adultery. There are probably people in here that if Jesus would have never saved you, you might have struggled with homosexual relationships. There might have been people in here that might not be able to pass a background check if Jesus never saved you. If Jesus never saved you, you might be just like Gary Ridgeway. You don't know because the power of the gospel in your life has completely transformed you. You could have become just like the people that you're afraid of, just like the people you're against, just like the people that you don't want anywhere near you. I want to be a church where it's okay not to be okay. I want to be a church where we recognize IBC's heart's been this way forever, but we got to keep it up. Where we say, listen, we love you just like you are, but Jesus loves you too much to leave you that way. Come with us. We want to make you more like Jesus. I want to be like that. Listen, the altar's open. If you today would say, you know what, Sean, I don't know where I stand with the Lord. Come and talk to me. Hey, don't leave today without being in tight relationship with Jesus. Hey, if you need to be plugged in and actually be committed to a group of believers, join IBC. We want you. We want you. Can we all pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to hear about Jonah. Jonah never got his heart right in that entire book. And God, I thank you for allowing us to hear about his failure so we won't make the same mistakes. Lord, I pray you'll soften hearts in this room to the gospel, for the gospel to be received. But also I pray that you will soften the hearts of the Christians in this room for the gospel to go out through them to people, man, they might not be comfortable with. Man, they might have some stigma against. Man, they might not like. Man, they might have an excuse against. And God, I pray that we'll recognize that getting the gospel out is so much easier than what we think it is. And our excuses are so invalid because you prepare the way for your will to be done. We love you. In your name we pray.